this morning for Sermon 541, Living Before We Die, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on June 14, 1970. The text is 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, the 22nd verse, The world or life or death or the present or future are all yours. Living Before We Die. That is the topic of the sermon for this morning, and its text is found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the third chapter, and we begin to read at the 16th verse. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. Let no one deceive himself if any one among you thinks that he is wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So let no one boast of men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. It is only natural that we human beings become concerned about life after death. And I guess it's no secret that more than one individual has come into the Christian Church for the simple reason that he wishes to claim that promise of Jesus for that room which is reserved for him in the mansions of heaven. Many individuals become a part of the Christian Church for the sole reason that when the world is called up yonder, they want to be sure that they're going to be there. They want to be sure that they have life after death. Now granted, Jesus Christ wants us to be with him after we die in the life of eternity. And much of his teaching tells us that this should be one of our goals, to be with him in everlasting and eternal life. But he tells us something also. He tells us that we should not only be interested in life after death, but equally important, we should be worrying about whether or not we are living before we die. As a matter of fact, Jesus, our Lord, goes as far to say that the type of life that we live after death will depend in great measure of the life that we live before we die. And Christ is very much aware that there are many individuals who not only die a normal life, but many die 
spiritually die really before they live. Therefore, it behooves the Christian to every once in a while not only to check on his insurance for eternal life, life after death, but he should also make sure that he has the assurances to be able to live before he dies. Jesus said, I come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Now, just because Jesus says that he gives us life, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have it. He wants us to have it. He is more willing to give it than we are to receive it. But there are many things which we must do if ever we are to find this abundant life that Jesus offers unto us. If we're ever going to live and really live before we die, we are individuals who first must have a desire to live, a desire to live. Now, I cannot hit this too hard because the older I get, the more I'm beginning to realize that one of the most important powers that an individual has in life is his desire. And if his desire is strong enough, he can do almost anything. Especially is this true in the realm of the physical and in the realm of the spiritual. I don't think that there's a person within the sound of this preacher's voice who has not known somebody who perhaps with an illness, terminal or maybe only temporary, an illness nevertheless where he's been able to take up his bed and walk not because he's been made well but because he has a desire. Ministering as we do to so many people, especially to those who are in hospitals and really who don't have a very bright future concerning their physical health, I am beginning to see more and more the important part that desire plays. I have seen individuals who really have done the miraculous for one reason. They had a desire to live. And I have seen people die premature deaths, I am convinced, because they wanted to die. You see, the desire to live is one of the most important and powerful forces that we have in life. There is only one other that is greater, and that is the desire to die. Psychology calls it the death wish. And I find that there are many people in life who really don't want to live, no matter what they say, that they really have a desire to die. And this is not pathetic enough. Many of us do not even realize that we have this desire to die. Carl McIntosh tells in one of his books, Faith for Personal Crisis, that every man dies two deaths, not just one. The first is a physical death, and it is marked with mortuaries and, and monuments. But the second is the personal event, the spiritual death, and many times it happens and nobody knows it. 
This is true. Many times we lose our desire for living, and we never even know it. Whenever you see you begin to quit, when you feel that you cannot go on, when you're tired and you want to give up, you see, that really is a lack of desire. And when you think this way, you're not living. Really, you're trying to die. Whenever you believe that something is impossible to achieve, no matter what it is, you're not living. You're dying. Whenever someone thinks that his failures and his sins could not possibly know any salvation or redemption, that person's not living. He's dying. Whenever we feel that the future has absolutely no good to it, that the outcome is completely dark and bleak, we're not living. We're dying. Because to live you have to have a desire, and a desire means you believe even when you can't believe anymore. You try even when you feel you cannot try anymore. And unless that desire is there, we possibly cannot live before we die. And, and this desire, it's a crazy thing, because you see, even God cannot help us if we don't have the desire to want to live. Yes, that's from Scripture. His Son, Jesus Christ, tells us this when he went into Jerusalem, and one day as he was passing the pool of Bethlehem. Zetha. There he saw a man, remember the incident? A man who had been lame for 38 years. Every day he was brought from his home by his friend and he was placed beside that pool. He had the belief that an angel would touch that pool and whenever the angel would disturb the water, the first one into the pool after the water had been disturbed would be healed. But Jesus, when he heard this man's plight, how there was never anyone there to lift him into the water so that he could be first after the disturbance. Jesus didn't buy that story. Jesus knew exactly what he had here. He had a man who did not want to live, even though he was professing that he desired life. And Christ looked him squared in the eye and he said, Tell me, brother, do you want to be healed? And Christ made that individual answer that question first, to give to that particular request an affirmative answer before he could heal him. And when that man finally did come to the realization, yes, yes, he wanted the desire to live, Jesus told him to rise, take up his pallet, and walk. And the man lived because he had a desire. You cannot live before you die if you have no desire to live. It's impossible to live before we die if we have no goals. If we have no goals. If we're not running a race upon to some finish line. You know, these young people today give me fits. Sometimes I find it very hard to understand not only what they're doing, 
but the tactics that they use. Sometimes my heart becomes very heavy. Yet, in analysis, I truly believe that one of the reasons, one of the reasons that so many of our young people today have such definite goals and are willing to exercise anything to pursue those goals, it is simply because they are a little disgusted with their previous generation because we just don't seem to have too many goals. I remember when I was in college there used to be a saying, he who goes round and round someday will become a big wheel. And this was a philosophy which many of us liked. But you notice today the kids don't buy that. Some of these young minds and fervent spirits, I think they'd rather be flat tires than big wheels. And they have detected in us, I feel, this sense of a goal, of a mission. Said one student to another student about yet a third brilliant student, no much wonder that student does so well in French class. All his father and mother do is speak French at all. Well, if that's the case then, I ought to do well in geometry, for all my parents do is talk in circles at home. You see, you can't live without a goal. You can't live if you have no idea of where it is that you're going. This is what Jesus was trying to tell us, you see. Believe it or not, when Jesus said some of these things that he said, he was just not giving us material for our little children to memorize for Sunday school. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. He was trying to give us a goal. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a goal. Love your neighbor as yourselves. That is an object to which he hopes we shall subscribe. You see, these goals are funny things. With it, we can do most anything. Without it, we can really achieve absolutely nothing. Wrong, well, a favorite of mine has been that little book that C.S. Lewis wrote a long time ago, The Screw Tape Letters. Remember those? These were imaginary letters that were written by the author as he thought the devil would write to the devil's disciples here on earth. And in one of them he's telling these little minions Above all, make sure in the person in whom you are working that you destroy all purpose of life. Take away his goals, and you will surely make him a servant of hell. You know how right that is when you think about it. We either pick our goals or they are picked for us. We either decide what we are going to do or the decision is made for us. We either choose our goal or they hound us, do you realize? They hound us and make us choose them. 
And this is the difference between making a goal either your friend or your enemy. If it is chosen for you and you are told that this is what you must do, no man likes that. And what would you rather do than achieve that goal? You'd rather die than do that particular goal that has been cast in your life because you have refused to make up another goal. But you see, when we do the picking and when we do the choosing, and when we are the individuals who set that as our particular goal in life, then that goal becomes not our enemy but our friend, and we cannot live long enough to achieve that goal. And the reason that many of us, you see, are, are not really happy in trying to do something here in life is we have not chosen the goal. Somebody else has chosen it for us because we have forfeited our right when we refuse to make a goal. But when you have somebody who has taken the destiny which is his and chosen his own goal, you find a man who has made friends with time, with eternity, with purpose, and with his destiny. Because you just can't live life without a goal. Nor can an individual live life before he dies unless he knows how to handle fear. Fear! Horrible word, isn't it? And you know this little thing, we really can't trace its birth. Ask the psychologist and he will tell you that we are people who are born with this desire to fear. Ask the sociologist and he'll say, oh no, no, no. Fear is not native to the individual. We learn fear from our teachers and from our parents and from our environment. It's the way that we are raised. This is where we find fear. Yet on the other hand, when, when you read Paul, the theologian, in writing to Timothy, he said, God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you see, we, we really don't know where this thing called fear, where it has come from. But one thing we know, don't we? It's here. And it lives within this holy temple. And like that old Negro spiritual, we're feared of living and scared of dying. Just think how many times this past week you have died a little death because of fear. Fear of job, fear of family, fear of the reputation of your good name, fear that this would happen, fear that that would not happen. We're people who have nervous breakdowns all the time because of our fears. And as soon as you go to church, you expect somebody to say to you, you've got to have more faith. You know, I never know where we got that philosophy, but we certainly didn't get it from the Bible. The antidote for fear is not more faith. It's love. Perfect love casteth out fear. And though it is not easily done, it is the only way that it is done. The only way you're ever going to get rid of the fear that you have in your life is, is through love. 
by loving God and your fellow man and your job and, and the decisions that you have to make. And unless we are able to perfect this love, we shall be individuals who live not for God, but people who live by fear. You just can't live life if you're frightened all the time. If a man loves, he has nothing to fear. But if a man loves not, he fears everything. And of course, and you expect this from a Christian church, you, you can't live life before you die unless you have a commitment. And here in our church we get rather narrow-minded. Perhaps this is the place we look less temperate. But I'm sorry, we didn't make up the rules. Jesus Christ did. And the belief is that unless you are committed to Jesus Christ, it is absolutely impossible for anybody to find life, either before or after death. I didn't say this, Christ did. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. Whosoever hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's Bible. And if you are not committed to Jesus Christ, there can be no hope of finding life before we die. Now this is tough. This is real tough. And Jesus never said that it would be any other way. It requires total commitment. And I'm very thankful for that lady parishioner that sent to me the illustration many months ago, which I think says this so distinctly. It's the story about the hen and the hog one day being out for a walk, and they passed a church. And out front on the bulletin board was this sign, How can we help the poor? And the hen thought for a while, and she said to the hog, I know what we can do. We can give them a breakfast of ham and eggs. The hog replied, That's all right for you to say. For you it is only a contribution. For me it's total commitment. <laughs> And let's make no doubt about it. God, when he asks us to commit ourselves to him, he's not asking for a contribution of a little bit of time or a little bit of money or a little bit of effort. He's asking you for your life, your total life. For whosoever giveth his life for my sake and the gospel, he'll find it. But whosoever tries to save his life and not commit it to me, he'll lose it. It comes through a commitment to Jesus Christ. That's where you find life. And one of the reasons we're sending these kids off to camp is to give them an opportunity to say with the disciples, I will follow thee wherever you lead. That's life. And you cannot find life before death in any other way. And though it's a very sobering fact, and maybe you think it hypothetical at first, 
I want to close by asking you what you think would happen in your life today if tomorrow you knew for sure you were going to die. You know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. What would you do today if you knew that by this time tomorrow you would be dead? I ask myself that question, and I immediately began to think what would happen if I knew tomorrow I would die. I know that I would have a desire to live the like of which I've never had before. I know, secondly, that I would do some things that I've been putting off for a long time. So that before that trump sounded for me tomorrow, I could have at least said, I did this one thing. I would have found a goal. And you know, I realized something else would have happened. Suddenly all these things that I have been frightened about, you people, my job, whether or not I'm doing what's right, all those fears would disappear because after tomorrow I wouldn't need a job. I wouldn't need any money. I wouldn't have to worry about you. All of these things would have disappeared and my fears would be no more if I knew tomorrow I was going to die. And I probably would come into this church and commit myself anew, saying, Lord, help me to be in these last few hours the person you created me to become. Yep, that's what I think I would do if today I knew tomorrow I would die. What would you do? Probably similar things. Well, I hope you don't die tomorrow, but this much I can tell you, someday you're going to die. Just as sure as you are sitting here, someday you're going to die. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe not for many years to come, but you will die. So will I. And you know, if we know we're going to die, even though when we don't know when it will be, why can we not start to live today as though this were the last day of our life? You see, when we live each day as though it were our last, that's when we begin to live before we die. It's a great day. It's beautiful. The kids are going to camp. My parents are with me, and so is a aunt that I haven't seen for more than ten years. It's the first time she's ever heard me preach. And this is a great day in my life because it was ten years ago this very Sunday that I stood in this pulpit for the first time. Ten years ago today, you called me to be your pastor. I thank you and realize that I'm one of the most blessed persons that ever lived.